All right, so the first thing we're going to do, if you have some kind of a journal, uh, something to write with, pull that out. If you don't and you have a phone and you can take some notes, I'm going to give you just a couple of questions to kind of process through. You won't necessarily have time to process them today, now, while we're in the service, but it would be worth writing these down uh, to take the next couple of days or weeks or months, depending on how long it takes you to walk through them, to kind of process through these things. But I want to start the day with just a couple of... um, We'll call them examinatory questions. I think I made that word up. But examinatory questions that help you take a look at at yourself. So the first one is this. Do you have a vision? A vision, and you can read picture or dream. Do you have a vision of the kind of person that you want to be um, as life goes on? You have a picture in your mind. So now I'm, you know, the, the question is, do you have a vision of the kind of person you want to become? And then to explain it a little bit, it's the idea of, do you have a picture in your mind of, uh, and we're talking character, not life goals, not necessarily saying, I want to retire, I want to own my house outright, I want to have kids and grandkids, or I want to, you know, whatever. It's not life goals. We're talking about a vision for the type of person you want to become, your personhood, your character, your inner being. Do you have a vision for that? Okay, so that's the, that's the first question. And then we're going to go kind of choose your own adventure style uh, or, you know, we're going to diagram it out. So if yes, if the answer to that question is yes, then my encouragement would be for you to write it out. Articulate what are the kind of character things that you envision yourself becoming over the course of your life. Okay, so that, that would be a project to kind of examine yourself and say, Yes, I have this vision, and then actually getting the discipline to write it down and articulate it will be the second part of that. Now we're going to talk about the if not. If the answer to that question is no, then I want you to take some time. You're not off the hook. I want you to take some time and answer the question, why not? Why not? Because there's probably some stuff in you that might be preventing you from having a picture of your future might be some experience or some blockage that's actually keeping you from being able to envision growth or envision a different person down the line than, than where you are today. And so it would be important to actually wrestle with that question a little bit. Why not? And I want to say this before I move on. That question of do you have a picture for the kind of person you want to become, that's as appropriate for a 22-year-old as it is for a 68-year-old. We're not talking about just if you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you and you're trying to envision your future. We're actually talking about everybody in the room. Do you have a vision for the type of person you want to become? Because we all are still in a growth process. There should be some kind of development and shaping and growing that takes place. I ask these questions because that's going to be the nature of our, uh, our time over the next five weeks, today and then the next four weeks, is talking about becoming the kind of people that Jesus has invited us to become when we follow him. For a lot of people, they have the picture in their minds that salvation is the goal. Heaven is the goal of the Christian life. That if I accept Jesus, that's almost like a finish line. And for some people, it's like crawling through life to get to the finish line of salvation. And if I've made it across and I have heaven, I have arrived. I've done what I needed to do and I have all that God intended for me to have because I have eternal life. And what I would say to that is if that's your picture of what the Christian life is, 
Uh, it's, it's not a picture that represents what the Bible teaches. That's an incomplete picture of the story that God has for you. In fact, if you were to look at the Bible, the perspective would be more that faith or belief is a starting point, not an ending point. It's actually the beginning of a journey, and there's a reason that in John he uses the phrase being born again because that idea of faith actually brings you into a new life, not just something to, to give you a new finish line. It's actually a new life that you're born into, and there's something that God wants to do with you in that life. That's more than just establishing your faith, getting you to the point of salvation, getting you to the point where you believe. And so today what we're going to be talking about is what is that? What is the vision that God has for this life that he's brought you into? There's a, uh, a writer and a, a philosopher and a teacher named Dallas Willard. He just died a few years ago. He was a local guy. He lived in Chatsworth. He was a professor at, uh, at USC for, I think, 38 years. He was a professor of philosophy at USC, a follower of Jesus, uh, part of Valley Vineyard, uh, just a, a, a great, great man of faith. And he's written a lot of books, and he wrote one called Renovation of the Heart. And in that book, Renovation of the Heart, he talks about how people change. How can a person go from being one way to being an entirely different way? What is the process? What does that actually look like for a person to change? And he gave a three-stage process for what it looks like to, to grow or what it would mean to grow or change or become in the context of following Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And that three-stage process, it's three words, vision, intention, and means. Vim, if you need to remember, Vim, V-I-M. Not your VIN number, it's your Vim. There you go. So vision, intention, and means. So let's talk about what those are. Today, just so you know, will be the vision and intention portion of that. And the next four weeks, we'll focus on means. So vision is the picture, and we'll talk about as followers of Jesus, it's the picture of what we are becoming it's a vision of, and to be more specific, what would my life look like if Jesus were living it today? You may have uh, worn a bracelet at one point that said, what would Jesus do? That was a very helpful phrase for a number of people for a long time. The idea of asking the question, what would Jesus do, is designed to help you remember that Jesus is not just a first century rabbi that took fishermen and made them fishers of men, but he's a savior that walks with us and now that idea of becoming like Jesus is not starting to wear tunics, buying some Birkenstocks, and going to live on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that's not the idea. That sounds amazing, by the way, but that's not the idea of becoming like Jesus that we are invited into. It's actually answering the question, if Jesus were living my life today, with my job, with my relationships, my spouse, or my kids, or my parents, with my friendships with my church what would jesus do if he were living in my context how would he express god's character and nature if he were living my life so that's a vision that's the idea is having this picture in our minds of what it would look like intention has to do with the drive, the inner switch that needs to be flipped in all of us to say, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. For a lot of us, the, the vision or the picture of becoming like Jesus is beautiful, but then we have lots of other things that we want, lots of other desires in this life. 
We may want Jesus, but then basketball playoffs roll around and all we can think about is who's going to win. And all we can do is go to ESPN and all we can do is listen to sports radio and it just consumes us and takes our entire attention away for a stretch of time. And you can fill in the blank. I know that's like 1% of people in here like basketball, but the idea being something else can consume our drive and desire and form our actions and decisions and be on our lips and the thing that we talk about and the thing that we think about. And so as much as we have this vision of our life, the intention of who we are can shift to different things that draw us away from that vision. So the idea of vision, intention, and means for how, how we change would be that we have this vision and then our intention matches the vision of who we want to become. And you have control over your will. I know sometimes we think that we don't. We kind of just go with our feelings and our feelings are the rudder for our life. I hope you've learned by now that if your feelings are your rudder for your life, then that ship will be wrecked really quickly. Like we don't go by our feelings. That's not, that's not the right rudder. Our will actually supersedes and informs our feelings. We choose to determine who we're going to be and how to live our lives. You have that volition in you. You have that ability to make those choices. And so the idea of our intention is actually setting in us the interest and desire and drive to fulfill and become the vision that we have for us. And then the means... The means would be the practices and habits that we would put in place to cultivate that intention to become that vision. And the means are the practices involved. So let's just, for the sake of understanding, let's go cross-lateral over to running a marathon. So let's say your vision is to run the LA Marathon next March. You have the vision to cross the finish line. You can, just, you can picture it of actually making it all the way across the finish line, 26.2 miles, going through that tape. I know they put the tape up all the time for everybody. You don't have to be the winner to get the tape. But you go through the tape, across the finish line. You got your time. You're done. You have this picture in your mind of, of that vision. And then the intention portion needs to come next where you might say, okay, if I want that vision, I actually have to do something about it. I have to choose now in my inner being to form my life around that vision. I have to get to that place so that I can run. And something has to switch in us that says it's go time. I can't just envision a future and then do nothing about it. Something in me has to form that says, yes, it's time to start preparing but even that's not enough, right? You could have said that yes and then not done anything about it. And that's where means comes in. Means are putting into practice. So, okay, I've got to change my eating because I've probably got to lose a few pounds. My knees can't hold up. So I've got to actually change the way that I eat in order to frame my body so that it can handle a marathon. I've got to train my running. I've got to start slow and build up. I've got to get to a point where I can actually get 10 miles and 18 miles and 26 miles. I've got to be able to do that if I want to run that marathon. And then honestly, even things like shoes, buying the right shoes, having the right shorts, getting the stuff so there's no chafe, whatever. I'm getting too detailed, but all the things... That's the means. So vision, intention, and means all work together to produce change. So that's the premise that we're operating off of. Now we're going to go to the scriptures, and I want to walk through what Peter shows us about the life that we're called into, that we're invited into. He's going to give us vision for becoming more like Jesus, 
and he's going to give us the intention, help us to understand the intention needed and how you can flip the switch of intention. And then the next few weeks, we'll have people speaking into means of becoming more like Jesus. Now, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Now, I realize when I say this that not everybody in the room had a dad that uh, challenged them to memorize Scripture when they were teenagers. I did. I had a dad that challenged me when I was a teenager to memorize Scripture. Uh, If I was going through something in particular, he would take me to a passage and help me memorize it. Or if I wasn't going through anything in particular, he had core passages that he would uh, challenge me to memorize. And 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11 was one of those to identify the process of character formation in me as a young man, he had me memorize this scripture. It is one of those core passages that any and all followers of Jesus should become extremely familiar with 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. It's that core to understanding how we change and how God works in us to make us more like Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to read this and we'll do a little bit of uh, context and then we'll dig into it. Peter's writing, he says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, a couple of bits before we dig into this. The first one uh, is that Peter is writing to people who have faith already. So this is the call to Christians. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 1, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing and he's saying, look, I know you have faith. I know you have salvation. Heaven is yours already. The Spirit of God is in you. We are not talking about salvation. Now we're talking about what we do with our salvation, what life we live with faith as the backdrop as the the bedrock, and then we cultivate our future in light of our faith. Okay, so I want to say that because ultimately what we are talking about here is people that have already said yes to following Jesus. People that have already said, okay, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make my life about him. Peter's saying, okay, for those that have obtained that faith, this is what it looks like to live. And he's he's ordering our lives around that faith. Okay, so that's one thing to note. And the second thing is this, down in verses 12 through 15, Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. 
I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. So now Peter's saying, Jesus told me I'm about to die, and so I want to say one more thing to you before I am out of here, and it's this. That's how important this is to Peter. The last thing before we dig into the passage, why is this so important to Peter? Why is this so important to followers of Jesus to grow? If you have salvation, why would growth be of any value? Why would it be of any benefit? Why would growth need to come next? There's two main reasons. The first is to increase in your enjoyment of the presence of God. We grow to become more like Jesus to increase in our enjoyment of his presence. The more you grow, the more you become like him, the more you experience his character, the more he uses you and bears fruit through you, the more those things happen, you actually enjoy God more. You see him in more places. Not that he is in more places, but your eyes are honed to see him in more places. You experience him in different ways because your heart is primed and ready and you enjoy him and his presence more as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's the first reason. First reason is so that you would enjoy him more. The second is that you would bear fruit, that the world would experience an increased clarity of who God is because you represented God to them. Because you brought God's character and nature to them in a clear way, it increases your fruitfulness. It increases your effectiveness. So those are the two main reasons. There's probably lots of sub-reasons, but those would be the two main reasons that we would say yes to a journey of growing to become more like Jesus. Yes to the vision of what Peter's about to lay out for us and, and why we would put in the work and cultivate the intentions and put into practice the means, why we would do this journey. One is to increase our enjoyment of God and two is to increase the picture of God to the world so that they might know him and experience him through us. All right, so let's talk about Peter's vision. Peter's vision for what you are becoming, and he's giving us this. As followers of Jesus, he's now giving us a vision for what we are being shaped into. And he says, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So the first thing Peter says is that you have, from the power of God, you have what you need to live a godly life. That's what that that sentence is. You have it. You're not waiting for more. You're not waiting for another book from your favorite author. You're not waiting for uh, a new journal. You're not waiting for your favorite kind of pen to write in that journal to arrive from Amazon. There's nothing that you lack in order to grow as a person who can live a godly life. So Peter's saying the divine power of God has given us everything, all things that we need to live a godly life. So the first thing he wants you to know is you're equipped now today to step into this. That's part of the vision that he's sharing. The second thing that he says about that is that we're called to live godly. Now, you may have heard the phrase Christ-likeness before, becoming like Christ. And that's a little bit more tangible for us than godliness because we can imagine Jesus. We saw Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John presenting three years of Jesus' words, his character, his actions, and we can start to envision what it means to become like Christ. Godliness... It's essentially the same concept, God-likeness. 
becoming like God. And people get a little intimidated with that because it's like, well, who can become like God? And Peter's answer is, well, you can. You can take the character of God and make it so that it's your character. You can actually become somebody that lives the very nature and character of God to and around other people. It will shape you and your experience of life, and it will shape them and their experience of God. And that's godliness, is increasing our likeness to God. Okay? So that is what Peter is giving us, is this picture. Now he goes on. If I were teaching through um, 2 Peter, I would teach this much differently. So I I don't mean to yada, yada, yada through a couple of verses, but I'm just going to go through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Very important. We're not going to hit on it. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, Also very important. Not going to hit on it. Where we're going to land is this next phrase. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So here's what Peter's envisioning for a follower of Jesus. Somebody that said yes to Jesus. Now there's this growth life that you're invited into of becoming godly. And here he gives a little bit of what that's going to look like. And he gives us a positive viewpoint of what is happening. And then I don't want to say negative, but like the, the what's coming off of us. So what's being added to us and what's coming off of us to make us more godly. And the first thing that he says is that you will become partakers of the divine nature. And your version, depending on what version you're reading, might say participants of the divine nature. So Peter's vision for a follower of Jesus is that you become a partaker of the divine nature. For 2,000 years, this has freaked people out because theologically it sounds like we're becoming gods. That's not what Peter's saying. But he is talking about us created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, increasing our God-likeness by partaking in or participating in the divine nature, meaning who God is and what he is like is increasing its presence in us. If you engage this journey, this is Peter's vision, if you engage this journey of not simply arriving at faith, but from that faith, building to become more like Jesus, if you do this, one of the things that happens is the character of God becomes your character. I want you to imagine, just for a minute, I'm not sure what your home life is like. Maybe it's roommates, maybe it's kids, maybe it's parents. I'm not sure what the situation is. But I want you to imagine, let's just take one character quality of God. Uh, What are some character qualities of God that you know from the scriptures? Just say them out loud. Self-control. What else? Patience. Patience. Love. What was that? Merciful. Merciful. What else? Joy. Joy. God is joyful. Yes. Holy. Holy. God's holy. Any others? Okay, so let's let's take one of those. We'll take patience. Imagine walking into your home after your hardest day of the last month. Okay, whatever your home life is like, whatever chaos ensues with roommates or with kids or with parents or whatever, whatever that scenario is like, imagine walking into your home after your personal hardest day of the last month. You can envision that. 
And imagine the home being filled with God's patience. Like as you walk in the door, you are wrecked or toast or spent or hurt or angry or frustrated. Like all of the emotions are real. There's real experiences. We're not absent from our experiences, yet at the same time, you are able to walk into a place that looks to you to know God and you bring his patience into that space. What kind of effect does that have on that room? What kind of magic, I mean, it's a weird word, but what kind of supernatural impact happens in that space when you, with all of your experiences and all of your hardships, bring God's patience into a space. That's what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. So that's one thing that Peter's saying. You do this and you become a partaker of the divine nature. And all of those character traits that we just talked about, those are all being brought into the place at different times and in different spaces and in different ways. You're bringing the character of God with you. That's what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. Now let's talk about the other side. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Peter's saying twofold. One is you're becoming more like God and two is you're becoming less like the world. So the world, according to the scriptures, is in a state of corruption. Sin is eating away at it. It's without Christ and the fullness of redemption and the new heavens and the new earth, the world is moving towards destruction. It's not moving towards getting better. That's why we, we don't have a, I would say, the difference of a progressive ideology. The world is getting better and better and better and better. That's, that's actually a different view than what the Bible has, is that apart from God, the world doesn't have the capacity to get better and better and better and better. And therefore, with all of our efforts, even still, no matter how hard we try with the environment, no matter how hard we try with social ventures, no matter how hard we try with different things, we find ourselves actually dividing, disunifying, getting further and further away from the character and the core of who God is. Those things just start to bleed out, and the world is actually in a state of corruption. And what Peter's saying is, if you're walking in this, something that happens is you become more like God and less like the world. The corruption that's in the world has less of an impact on you and who you are, your personhood. It may still affect your scenario, your circumstances, because that's unavoidable. The world will always affect our circumstances because that's, that's where we live. But your personhood is escaping the corruption that's in the world. That's Peter's pitch. This is the vision that he's laying out for believers. I have something for you to step into, and it looks like this. And he's trying to lay it out for you to say, okay, that's what I want. That's what Peter's goal is for this passage, is for you to say, that's what I want. That's why I signed up for this. I didn't just want to crawl into heaven. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to be like God. That's the picture that I'm craving in my soul, is that I would be more patient and more loving, and more merciful, and more just as God is. I want to be like that so that this world can experience God in a different way. So Peter says, okay, now let's move to intention. What needs to happen in you to move towards that vision? This is verse 5. Peter says, for this reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he goes on to talk about some amazing things. If I were teaching through 2 Peter, I would go heavy on virtue and knowledge and self-control and on and on and on. I would, I would teach on all of those things. That's actually not where we're going today. I apologize. It's good. It's really good. But we're talking about something different. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, so we're going to work backwards through this. Let's talk about supplement for just a minute. Uh, If you've got a diet that has limited access to certain vitamins, you take supplements. You would add in vitamin K, you would add in vitamin D, or you would add in uh, protein or different things to kind of round out your diet. That's the idea of a supplement is to, to actually finish out the nutritional needs that your body has if you're not getting them through your natural diet. So that's the whole concept of a, of a supplement as it relates to nutrition. Peter's saying, I want you to supplement your faith. Now, just real quick, before I dive into this, is Peter saying that your faith is not enough? No. Verse 1, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter's not saying your faith is insufficient. Your faith is core and critical to who you are, and it represents salvation, 100%. You are saved. You have heaven. You have eternity. You have all of those things. And Peter is full aware of this. And now he says, supplement your faith. Build on that. There's more to the story. There's something for this life now that's not just waiting for eternal life, but is actually cultivating something different today so that you can enjoy God more and you can bear more fruit. So he wants us to supplement our faith And the way to do that, for Peter, he says, for this very reason, make every effort. Work really hard. Be intensely diligent. Now, for a lot of us, we might kind of jump back a little bit at this point and just say, whoa, 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 whoa. It's by grace. I've been saved through faith. It's not of works so that I can't boast. That's probably what you did. He says, ha! You just went Ephesians 2, 8, 9 on me and just shut me down. That's talking about salvation. It is by, that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. What Peter's now talking about is to those that are saved, you are invited into something. Paul even says it in Ephesians 2.10, but a lot of people only memorize 2.8 and 9, so that's all that counts. But in Ephesians 2.10, he says that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're created to do something. And now Peter and Paul, these different writers of the New Testament, will invite us to walk with diligence. Strong faith. It's important. It's important. Paul will say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The writer of Hebrews will say, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Peter will say, make every effort. The invitation to the believer is now, if you have this vision and you want it, you actually, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work for it. If you want to run a marathon in March, you got to get off the couch today. If you want to become more like Jesus, 
then something in you today needs to switch to say, I need to be more intentional today to cultivate the character of Christ in my life. To pursue the things of God more today so that I can be that person tomorrow and next year and in the coming decades. And it's interesting because you cannot produce this entirely on your own. So while there is effort, it's not absent of the Holy Spirit. You are in need of what he's given you, which is the Spirit of God, in order to make every effort. So it's not without the Spirit of God, but at the same time, it's not simply going about your everyday busy life, assuming that you can get the kids ready for school, run errands all day, make dinner, go to bed with two hours of Netflix, and then go to bed and assume that somewhere in there, the Spirit of God will magically transform you to be more like Jesus without any effort on your part. And sometimes we kind of think that way. We're just like, well, I guess just time will do it, right? If I just, if I just live my life without any intentional decisions to become more like Jesus, over time, I'm sure I'll become more like Jesus. One of the core problems with that thinking is that it's not Jesus, it's not the only thing trying to shape us into something. This world is constantly trying to shape us into something. This one small example, if you look at social media, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, what's the word that's used when you friend somebody? It's not friend on those three, it's follow. By clicking on a button, you're saying, whatever this person is posting, I'm following this person. It's subtle, right? It's not like a huge deal. And most of you wouldn't say, oh, I'm followers of, I don't even know screen names anymore, but I'm followers of this person. We wouldn't articulate that, but at the same time, if you're telling a story, you say, oh, I follow this person on Instagram and they posted this and they said this and it meant this and it did this. Again, it just sort of gets in our mind. There are a lot of people out there that are trying to shape something in us. For some people, it's to their benefit. They're trying to sell you something, a product or a, uh, a lifestyle or something along those lines. For others, it is theological. They're actually trying to shape a mindset in you. They're trying to hone you to believe something like what they believe. But there are lots of things that are forming you at all times. And Peter's saying, if you want that vision, then you have to be diligent and make every effort to be formed in a way that will produce that outcome. It's not going to come naturally in this world. So if you think through, okay, what is it going to look like for me to flip that switch? Some people, personality-wise, are very disciplined. You can wake up early, you can spend time in the scriptures, you can read through books, you can journal to no end, you've got your rhythm. And you can do that because you're a, by nature a disciplined person. Other people, like if you were to hear my dad teach, he'll tell you, I was an undisciplined person by personality. I couldn't maintain a rhythm, I couldn't wake up at a set time, I couldn't do these things. I, he, he would just talk about his personality, I couldn't do it. And so we might look at this and say, well, the, the, the personality disciplined person has an advantage in their pursuit of Jesus. Anybody ever felt that way before? Some people can do this better than I can because they have more discipline than I do. 
Well, or anybody ever felt, I can do this better than other people because I have more discipline than they do. That's, that's the, the self-righteous side of that equation. So here's the challenge. For some of you, you have the discipline. You have the ability to wake up, to operate the practices, to cultivate the character of Jesus in you, and it's by personality. And you do need to lean into the Spirit and make sure that it's fresh and not just rote discipline because you're good at waking up and opening your Bible and writing things in your journal. I've been there. I'm a 4.30 to 5.30 wake up. I'm a pretty consistent in the scriptures, writing in my journal. This is journal number 200 over the course of the last 10 years. I'm making that number up, but I have lots of journals filled up with prayers, filled up with thoughts. And and with that has come a battle with pride and self-righteousness because I am good at getting up and doing the things of God. And so I've, I've had that to deal with. Some of you on the lacking discipline side, personality-wise, you feel a little bit hopeless. If it takes discipline to walk in this Christian life and I have no discipline, I will never grow to become more like Jesus. It's a scary thought. But it's untrue. It's untrue. Two things that you need to hear. I feel like maybe I'm speaking to a couple of you in this room that feel like you wish you had more discipline to cultivate the practices of God in your life. Number one is that God made you. He knows you. He knows your personality. He didn't screw up when he made you. Like, ah, forgot to put discipline in that one. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Ah, diligence? Nope, I ran out. He knows you, and he knows your personality. All your weaknesses, all your strengths, he built them. And so when you think about God and you look at that and say, I am this way, I will never be able to grow in God, you would be taking God saying, I made you, you can grow in me, and saying, no, actually, I disagree with you, Lord. So something somewhere There has to be this thing that God knows you and made you the way that you are and still invites you into this life of making every effort and growing in him. So where does it come from? It comes from the phrase, his divine power. That's back in verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. What that means is that the creator of the universe, and I know we throw that phrase out there sometimes, but I just want you to think about this. The Psalms talk about how God created the universe with a breath, with his fingertips. It uses different pictures. It's not trying to get scientific on how God created the universe. It's just saying it was virtually effortless for God to create the entirety of the universe. Here we are, thousands of years into human existence and intellect, And we have not yet built a telescope that we can send far enough into space that can look far enough to find the end of God's creation. We haven't found the end of what God created with his fingertips or with his breath. It's so vast and so massive and so endless, we cannot find it. And at the same time, we keep inventing new microscopes and new areas of physics to get smaller and smaller and smaller. We are at the quantum level and still going, finding more and more and more underneath the surface and deeper and deeper and deeper, and it doesn't end. 
We haven't found how big the universe is and we haven't found how small the universe is. We cannot find the end of what God has created. That's how big he is. And his divine power has granted you everything that you need to live a godly life. Don't doubt him. Don't deny him. When you struggle in your personality with discipline, the response is to go to him. To go to him. Let's just say you wanted to run the marathon. Let's go back to that. So you, run, you say you want to run the marathon. First thing that we all do, I would imagine if you said, I want to run the LA Marathon in March, the first thing you do is Google and say, I want to run the LA Marathon in March. What do I do? This is how we type, right? I want to run the LA Marathon in March. What do I do? And you would get thousands of pages, thousands of pages with ideas for running plans and eating plans and ways to set your sleep rhythm and get yourself ready to go just so that you could appropriately be ready for the LA Marathon in March. It would be endless. People love to share that stuff. I mean, you still have to take it and put it into practice in your life, but, but the help is there. If you were to go to your church and you were to tell your community group or your group of friends or a mentor, and you were to say, I want to cultivate Christ's character in my life, what should I do? They would have pages upon pages upon pages of things for you to do. You would have coaches surrounding you saying, hey, how's that going? How's that going? How's it coming? What was your, when you read that, what, what did you learn? What was your experience? Okay, did you, did you pray like this? Did you get some time alone? Did you hear from God? What did he say? How did it go? People would be overjoyed to walk with you in the journey of you becoming more like Jesus. Part of what he's given you to live a godly life is the community around you. He's given you the spirit of God to overcome your personality. Here's the thing. As much as the person lacking discipline needs the spirit of God to help create discipline, the person who has discipline needs the spirit of God to bring humility. I can tell you that from experience because I need that humility over and over and over. I have discipline. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just part of what's been groomed in me over the course of my life from my parents, from my upbringing, my family of origin. I have discipline. It's not particularly hard for me to wake up early and spend time with the Lord. It is excruciatingly hard for me to be humble, to not be defensive, and to, to actually lay aside arrogance and let the Lord mold me and shape me. We all need help in this journey, but we have what we need to pursue a godly life. Part of the goal for today my prayer this morning was, Lord, I just, I want to be helpful. I want this to be something that helps people set the blocks in place so that they can walk a life of growing to become more like Jesus. And I hope it's been that. I hope it's been helpful for you just to even hear these things and think, okay, why would I do it? To enjoy God more, to be more fruitful. I want those things. I want to know God and experience him. 
I want more of his presence in my life. I want to be more fruitful. Verse 8, these things will keep you. If you have these practices and they are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you walk in this journey, you'll be effective and productive for the kingdom of God. And that is so fun. I'm serious. It is so much joy to help cultivate Christ in others. And that is yours when you step into this with intention. Now, what you're going to get for the next few weeks are some examples of means. And again, it's like somebody's running plan on the internet. The things that you'll hear from the guys over the next couple of weeks will be biblically-based practices that you can step into that will cultivate the character of Jesus in your life. How to rest, how to memorize scripture, how to pray, how to live in solitude in a way that you can hear the voice of God, how to slow yourself down and be disciplined to not be completely formed by the world at all times. And they're helpful. Excuse me. <coughs> it's really loud if I cough straight into the microphone. Sorry about that. So I just, I want to I encourage you that this is a journey worth taking. And there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow, to become more like Jesus. And I want to encourage you to make every effort. Step into the life and make every effort. Okay? Let me pray for us. And then we've got a few things to wrap up with. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to grow in you. Thank you for the vision and the intention that you give us. Lord, I do pray for that. Um, that inner drive, that will, that, that want. Lord, I pray that as a matter of integrity and even faith, that it would align with the vision that we have for the type of person we want to become. The picture of who you are in this world. And Lord, as that, as that starts to take shape, I do just pray that these practices, these habits, these uh, lifestyles of pursuing you, that they would produce the thing that you promised, effectiveness, productiveness in the kingdom of God. We want that, Lord, productivity. We thank you for who you are, for what you invite us into. It's in your name we pray, amen.